Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And I'm Holly Fry. We are picking up past host tradition today. Yeah. With our uh, annual look at, at what has been unearthed in the world of history. Sometimes literally unearthed yeah. out of the dirt. <laughs> Sometimes just stuff that's been found or discovered or whatever, uh, as has been the case for the last couple of years. We have enough things to talk about that we have two parts to this episode uh, to run today and two days from now. It's been a big year. It seems like every other week, at least, there's some big yes. new thing found, new thing discovered, new thing tested. Yes. And so we're going to say, as we always do this is not an exhaustive list of everything. Yeah. <laughs> and if we get to the end of all this and there's something that you wish we had talked about, feel free to tell us nicely. <laughs> uh, we've gotten some furious people who are angry that we didn't mention a favorite thing before. And, and that makes our day a little sadder. But uh, we do especially want to point out that we've already done whole episodes on some of this year's biggest finds. Yeah. Um. 2013 confirmed that remains previously found below a car park were those of Richard III. So we had a whole episode devoted to that back in March. Uh, we also, thanks to the world of forensic anthropology, got pretty clear confirmation that there was cannibalism going on during the starving time in Jamestown. And you can hear an episode about that from back in May. Uh, and just as a side note, that Richard III site is also where the team found a stone car- coffin that we discovered this year, contained a lead coffin inside of it, which is another history mystery for another time. Yeah. Um, This year we did also get some big news of something that was actually unearthed a while back, and most notably, uh, that's one of those, is almost 1,500 pieces of artwork that had been confiscated by Nazis and were found in a Munich flat in 2011. Uh, That actually made headlines this November, and included works by such amazing artists as Picasso and Matisse. So that was actually a previously unearthed thing that we just became aware of this year. So, like we said, not an exhaustive list. Today's episode, uh, we're putting things kind of into groups, because there are a lot of things to talk about. Yeah. Uh, Today's episode has some stuff that we just think is cool. Uh, We have a bunch of things that were found under car parks, and thanks to the Crossrail Project in London. Uh, and then our next episode will be everything from uh, amateur discoveries of stuff to uh, everyone's favorite subject, exhumations. Yeah. So <laughs> so starting with the not categorized, but just super interesting and cool. Uh, in October, archaeologists in London announced the find of a limestone carving of an eagle that was found in a ditch. And it's a Roman eagle, although it was carved in Britain, and it's been called one of the best pieces of Romano-British art ever found. Its condition, in fact, was so good that when the team first saw it, they were afraid that they had accidentally disturbed a Victorian gravestone decoration. Yeah. So a much later period item. Yes, they thought it was something much newer than what it actually (laughs) was when they first saw it, because it was in such excellent condition. Uh, The only damage that it has is uh, one of its wings is broken, and it's uh, being supported now by a frame. 
And it's being supported because it is doing a six-month tour at the Museum of London. Uh, it was installed there just a month after being pulled out of the ground, and it is estimated to be about 2,000 years old. Yeah. So when you think about that, and people thought it was Victorian because it was so good, that's we're talking 150 years old versus yes. its actual age of 2,000. So it's really in spectacular condition. Yeah, and pretty remarkable that it, it within a month of being found, it was already yeah. in a museum. Uh, in the world of television history... Philip Morris, who is executive director at Television International Enterprise Archive, found nine long-lost episodes of the TV show Doctor Who in a closet in a TV station in Nigeria. That is so Doctor Who. (laughs) It is extremely (laughs) Doctor Who. Uh, They actually found 11 episodes, but only nine of them are among the missing 106 from the show's early years. If you're not familiar with this part of TV history, like now archiving things and keeping copies and, and... you know, having things to save for posterity is a pretty typical part of yeah. television production. But that was not really the case in the 50s and 60s. People didn't quite realize that we might want to have some of this stuff later. Uh, and so there are a lot of early episodes of the BBC TV show Doctor Who that uh, we don't really have any known copies of. Um, there was actually a, another article that circulated this year that claimed a 100 episodes had been found but that did not come from the most reputable source in the world, and I could not find actual confirmation that seemed legitimate to me. So we do know that nine of them are no longer lost. Hooray. And in Nigeria, of all yeah. places. Uh, we already know where the Queen Anne's Revenge was, so that was Blackbeard's pirate ship, in case there's anybody that did not know that. Uh, it ran aground in the Beaufort Inlet in North Carolina in 1718, and that's well documented. And its location was confirmed back in 2011, but this year, uh, the Underwater Archaeology Branch of the North Carolina Department of Cultural Resources announced that it intends to salvage the entire thing by 2014. So that is sort of unearthing to come. Yes, it's unearthing announcement, and next year we may have lots of beautiful pictures of things that they will be pulling up out of the water. Yes, they really intend to like bring every single piece of wood up from the ocean floor. It's exciting. I'm so excited to see how that project plays out. And as as a manager of things, I also go, that sounds expensive. <laughs> um, and in our last sort of uncategorized, but just pretty cool, uh, announced back in July, several pieces of Viking jewelry were found at a farm site in Denmark. And this was a little incongruous. Like this was a pretty modest site that they were working at. Um, and these pieces were at least 1,300 years old. Some of them are made out of gold. And there was a lot of debate about how exactly these very expensive-seeming gold pieces uh, were found at a site that was otherwise so modest. And the number one theory at this point is that the Skyldings, who were the first Danish dynasty, had a royal seat about six miles away from this site. So while it wasn't a very rich settlement. It may have played host to more notable persons from not that far away. Uh, and that is how all these pieces wound up there. So cool. You may have heard this year that they found some things under parking lots. Couple. Couple lots. things. It lots. was like parking lot history year. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's not totally surprising that so many things are being found under parking lots. But here are a few things that were found under parking lots and were not Richard III. Yeah, that was the big, huge one. But there were several others. So in March, a crew that was demolishing an old parking lot found the tomb of a knight as well as the foundations of a monastery built by King Alexander II of Scotland. 
The monastery was founded in 1230, but then destroyed during the Protestant Reformation. And the knight's grave was marked with a sandstone slab carved with a cavalry cross and sword, and a body believed to be the knight was actually found nearby. Yeah. So it was several things unearthed in this one parking lot thing. Uh, I am looking for, at some point, it may have happened already, but I was not able to find it, a confirmation that the, the body really was the knight and not another unrelated body. Yeah, and whether we will ever identify the identity of the knight. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, that could be next year's Unearthed. In May, archaeologists found a 1,700-year-old cemetery under a car park in Leicester, England. And that seemed to be, interestingly, uh, the final resting place for people of many faiths. They were buried in different positions with different funerary rituals. There were about 13 people buried there, and they date back about to the year 300. It seems... That is very fascinating. It is fascinating. So it sort of makes it clear that there were people of many faiths living there at the same time, and that it was socially acceptable for them all to be buried in together, the same place. or maybe just necessary for some reason. Yeah. Uh, announced in October in Scotland, an 11th century Viking parliamentary site, a site for gathering known as The Thing, uh, which was for making laws, settling disputes, and the, those sorts of things. Uh, again, under a parking lot. Yep. And I am just delighted by the fact that, that this was called The Thing. It probably comes from Thingvillier, which means the field of the assembly. So this was I like to picture the horror thing because that makes it funnier. <laughs> uh, it does. Uh, the the reason that this was notable was that it uh, there had not been one of these sites found in that part of Scotland before this point. Yeah, it kind of expanded the territory that we thought they were having these sorts of activities in. Yes, cool. Parking lots are not the only things that are hiding many archaeological finds this year. <laughs> Uh, there's also Crossrail, which is this high-frequency, high-capacity rail line that's in the works for London and the surrounding area. And work on the Crossrail project has unearthed all kinds of stuff. It started back in 2009 and has unearthed since then at least 10,000 archaeological items. That's a lot. It is a lot of stuff. So in March, uh, they unearthed a death pit. Uh, of probable Black Death victims, and that was dug up under uh, Charterhouse Square. And at the time it was dug, the pit would have been just outside the walls of London. In August, the project dug up a 16th century gold coin and a huge amount of Mesolithic flint. They called this kind of a Mesolithic tool factory. Um, All of these would have been pieces of 9,000-year-old tools. And in October, uh, it was a collection of 20 Roman skulls and pieces of pottery. And people were bandying about the idea that these could be remains from Boudicca's Rebellion, which we've talked about in the podcast. But the pattern of clustering uh, in where they were found suggests that they were really just washed downstream from a Roman burial ground. Yeah. They weren't so much... Uh, Boudicca related as just displaced. Yeah, they kept finding skulls bunched together where the river had a bend in it, yeah. as though they had just washed downstream and then caught there from the current. Um, and this last one is not actually related to the cross rail. It's a completely different subway uh, excavation, and that's taking place in Rio. This subway exp- uh, expansion in Rio has unearthed at least 200,000 artifacts uh, a lot of them really impressively intact. Uh, 
Um, and one of these unearthed this year is a toothbrush believed to have belonged to Emperor Pedro II, who ruled Brazil from 1831 to 1889. The bristles of the toothbrush are no longer intact, but the toothbrush itself is still there. So cool. And before we move on, let's take a minute and talk about our sponsor. That sounds grand. So let's get back to what's been uncovered this year. This, uh, we have several things that are bits of communication that have been revealed often in other texts. Conservators at the National Portrait Gallery in London found this little piece of art in a portrait of Sir Walter Raleigh that, quote, reveals the depth of the explorer's devotion to Queen Elizabeth I. Um, it's this little coded uh, reference to the moon and water within the context of this portrait. Uh, and the message there is that Sir Walter Raleigh is willing to have the queen control him the way the moon controls the tides. Uh, this patch of moon and sea is up in the upper left of the painting, and it was revealed, not known to have been there before, during an extensive restoration project uh, that that is restoring the whole portrait. Uh, European scientists used advanced multispectral imaging to reveal previously washed away writing in medieval manuscripts this year. I think this is so incredibly cool. Uh, one of these is a manuscript that's housed in Jerusalem. Today, its pages are books of the Greek Old Testament, but underneath are passages from Euripides and Aristotle, as well as other works. And they've used this same process on a manuscript from Paris, which is a 5th century commentary on Aristotle. Yeah, so it's kind of uh, multiple documents in one. Yeah, well, when you look back into history to to time periods when paper was really expensive Mm -hmm. and needed to be washed away and reused... Um, the, the fact that now we can kind of go back and piece together what, what was originally on those pieces of paper is pretty cool. It's really cool. Uh, it also reminds me of when literary scholars will look at like the strikeouts and erasures and things uh-huh. and people's original, uh, original drafts of their work. Yeah. Uh, except this has a lot more science. <laughs> Also this year at the SLAC National Accelerator Laboratory, scientists use x-rays to uh, reconstruct a 1797 uh, aria from an opera by Luigi Cherubini, uh, which the composer had in kind of a fit of fury blacked out completely with carbon. The trick to doing this, because the paper itself was invisible to the x-rays, but not the notes that he wrote on the paper, um, they had to figure out which notes belonged on which side of the page. So in addition to using x-rays to get a picture of what all the notes were, they then turned to analyzing his handwriting and weeding out the notes on each side of the page based on which way the lines on the notes slanted. So cool. Has anybody heard it? Yes, you you can now hear it. And it's beautiful, and we don't know why he wanted to destroy it. <laughs> I think he was uh, angry and temperamental, as many creative people are. I say this as a creative person who is sometimes deleting all of my own work in a fit of anxiety. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't either. I never destroy anything. (laughs) (laughs) I destroy all the things. Uh, Not so much reconstructed, but it is writing related. Uh, In June, federal officials and representatives from the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington announced that they had found the Rosenberg Diary, uh, which was written by Alfred Rosenberg, who was a friend and confidant 
of Adolf Hitler and a notorious member of the Nazi party. And he would have had firsthand knowledge of a lot of what Hitler was orchestrating. So this document may very well uncover new information about this period of history. And in the words of U.S. Holocaust Memorial Museum director Sarah J. Bloomfield, quote, As we build the collection of record on the Holocaust, having material that documents the actions of both perpetrators and victims is crucial to helping scholars understand how and why the Holocaust happened. So cool. That is, I think, the most horrifying thing discovered yes, in all our discoveries this but year. But really important. Extremely really, important. It's kind of one of those things where the bad guys, there's always a cloak of like mystery around them. Not even specifically these, but any. It's like there's never enough documentation of like, but why were you doing this? Yeah. Well, and especially as the the specter of Holocaust denial kind of rises up, having primary sources of what was really happening is increasingly important to dispel that as false. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think as we get farther and farther removed from that time of history, it becomes more and more difficult for people who did not live through it to conceive of that ever having happened in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and so having things like the Rosenberg diary can help put that into better context for people. And um, now we move on from the, that very tragic Topic yes, we did to not our want, favorite thing. We didn't want to end on on the most tragic topic with this particular episode. We've got a few things that were unearthed this year that have to do with food. Hooray! Uh, in August, a team of researchers led by University of York archaeologist Haley Saul published a paper in PLOS One that looked at food deposits left in prehistoric pottery from what is now Denmark and Germany. So in all this charred residue from inside these pottery fragments, uh, and sometimes on the outside too, they found residues that are consistent with the modern garlic mustard seed. So the garlic mustard seed does not have a lot of nutritional value. It is not filling. It is not like full of vitamins and minerals. (laughs) No. But what it does have is a lot of flavor. And this is the first direct evidence that prehistoric Europeans used spice to make their food taste better. Yum. I'm it's really not a surprise. Everyone loves deliciousness, right? Well, we also have some evidence of animals who do things to their food to make it yeah. taste better. So it, it, it's not super surprising that early, early uh, back in history, people did the same thing. Yeah. But still really cool to have evidence of that. Uh, also, that same month in August, the University of Leicester announced that it had unearthed the recipe for the first chilled chocolate treats in Britain. Uh, these recipes were gathered by the Earl of Sandwich, not the inventor of the sandwich, uh, that was his great-great-grandson, in 1668. And this was a concoction of chocolate and snow. Similar to our ice cream podcast, we talked about things that started with snow and then were made into frozen delicious treats. Yes. We should also probably call his great-great-grandson the purported inventor of the sandwich. Yeah, we have to be careful with that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's also a restaurant. The Earl of Sandwich. <laughs> Not related to either of those people, except in the borrowing of a name. Yes. Also in October, researchers at the University of Buckingham announced that they'd found charred bones of frog legs at a dig not far from Stonehenge. These bones were from somewhere between uh, 6250 BCE and 7596 BCE. And this makes them the oldest evidence of frog legs used as food anywhere in the world. And it predates the first evidence of eating frog's legs 
in France, uh, where supposedly the practice originated. Also at the site were bones of fish, boar, deer, and other animals that would have lived in the area at the time. Uh, I am fond of frog's legs. I am too. I have a love-hate. Yeah. As with, it, I'm kind of a carnivore by nature, but as you know, I'm also crazy animal lady. So I'm perpetually riding this wave of what I'm comfortable with, and then I eat the meat anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do love frog's legs. I there's some French in my family background, and we grew up eating them. And yes, they're really good. Yes, I don't know if I've told you the story of one of the periods of my life when I was a vegetarian, and it ended when I was at a work function at which quail and frog's legs were being served, and I I decided to have some of each of that. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, food discoveries this year is where we are going to stop off with this particular half of this episode today. We're going to have lots more next time. I do want to give a special shout out to the History Blog at thehistoryblog.com. Uh, which is where I see a lot of these stories first. They are quick. Yes. They're like, they're hovering on the data center of the internet to find anything historical. And right. they're really fast to report it. Yeah, I have a, a lot of things that I keep up with in, in an RSS reader of, of various sites and reports and things like that. But very often the place that I see it first is at the history blog. So thank you for doing that. So now that we have gotten good and hungry, do you also have some listener mail for us? Yes, and it even mentions ice cream. Hooray! This is from Catherine, who says, Dear Tracy and Holly, I wrote to you pretty recently about ice cream in Montana. But as soon as I saw the title of yesterday's episode, I knew I would have to write again. This is about our Hessians episode again. Very popular with the, the listeners. Yes. Uh, and I, I was quite fond of that episode. I'm glad people enjoyed it. Yeah. At my elementary school back in the 1990s, there was a tradition that every spring the entire fifth grade would go down to the public land behind the school, in parentheses, a swampy, partly wooded area surrounding a creek, and reenact a war from American history. It was sort of a rite of passage leading up to the, quote, continuation ceremony celebrating our departure for middle school. The fifth graders would train and prepare for months in advance, and so on the big day, the whole thing would be professionally shot on video so it could be edited together into a short historical documentary for parents to purchase. I love that. I love Love that. everything about that. Yes. I especially love that it's a continuation ceremony and not a graduation. (laughs) Uh, That sounded judgmental of me, and it probably was. So I'd let to continue with Catherine's actual letter. Most years it was a reenactment of the Civil War, but when my cohort's turn came... The school administrators had decided for one reason or another that we would reenact the Revolutionary War instead. I was assigned the role of Hessian flag bearer, which kind of cheesed me off at the time because it meant I didn't get to carry one of the muskets all the other kids got, which would, quote, shoot puffs of flour. Which is, okay, that's darling. (laughs) Back to the letter again. At that time, too, I had never heard of the Hessians, and all I knew about them was I was told we were German mercenaries and that we all had to wear what I thought were pretty silly-looking hats. I guess I always had it in the back of my head that there was probably a lot more to it than that, but the Hessians never really came up again in my public school history uh, classics in any significant way. Thank you for giving me a better understanding of who I was supposed to be while running around by the creek in my little German uniform. Sincerely, Catherine. Can I just tell you, when we first (laughs) got that message... In my head, uh, Catherine grew up in a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> it seems so abundantly clear to me. It really does. 
now that you point that out. I had not thought of that. I love this letter. It's so sweet. Thank you so much, Catherine. I, I was also extremely glad that um, the, the email that we've got about our Hessians episode has been people enjoying it. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed recording that one, I think, the most of any episode we have done. And then when I listened to it, I enjoyed listening to it the most Hooray. of any episode we've done. So I was very excited that other people seem to enjoy it also. So thank you, thank you again for writing, Catherine. If you would like to write to us, you can. We are at historypodcast@discovery.com. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com/historyclassstuff and on Twitter at Missed in History. Our Tumblr is at mistinhistory.tumblr.com, and we are pinning things away on Pinterest. If you would like to learn a little bit more about what we have talked about today, you can come to our website. Put the word archaeology in the search bar, and you will find the article "How Archaeology Works." You can do all of that and a whole lot more at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Netflix streams TV shows and movies directly to your home, saving you time, money, and hassle. As a Netflix member, you can instantly watch TV episodes and movies streaming directly to your PC, Mac, or right to your TV with your Xbox 360, PS3, or Nintendo Wii console, plus Apple devices, Kindle, and Nook. Get a free 30-day trial membership. Go to www.netflix.com and sign up now.